best sermon ever. We are going to accelerate this thing because we have to finish by August 22. So you're going to notice we're going to really push the gas on these messages, which is going to be great. Um, I think this is message five or six. And the best sermon, the best sermon ever, I said summer, but the best sermon ever is Jesus' sermon, Matthew 5 through 7. It's the Sermon on the Mount. It is how do you be a great follower of Jesus? What does that look like? What are the characters? The Beatitudes are the Christian ethos. It's our ethic. What do we look like? How do we live? Salt and light is the result. What are we supposed to be in the world? You are the light of the world. You are the salt of the earth. And then Jesus, the rest of Matthew chapter 5, he gives us six examples of what this actually looks like. And he says, here are your six examples. And he gives them, and he, and he phrases them in such a way where, we'll, we'll get to that here in a minute. Let me, let me tell you what I did last week. Uh, no, two weeks ago, we did anger, revenge, and enemies, right? This week, we're talking about adultery, divorce, and oaths. Yeah, that's all, that's exact, that is exactly how I expected you to react. Exactly. Right? Faith, hope, and love, but the greatest of these is love. No, let's dive right in. Adultery, divorce, and oaths. Let's go. I'm going to need you to give me a little more of my mic because it's going to get really, really quiet in this place. Um, but it shouldn't. It shouldn't. Hear me. Listen to this. 2 Corinthians 3, verse 6. It said, He has made us competent as ministers of a new covenant, not of the letter, but of the Spirit. Listen to this. For the letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. The letter of the law kills you, but the Spirit, of the, of the, but the Spirit revives you. So for those of you that heard the word adultery or divorce or oaths, and you began, oaths is integrity of your word, and you began sinking down in your seat, you got really uncomfortable. Your heart started to beat a little more. You started to feel sick to your stomach. You're watching online and you're like, oh my goodness, should I go watch another church? I don't, I don't want to feel this right now. I don't want to experience this right now. You're uncomfortable. You're, 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 you're not like, oh, I don't want to go. That is the letter of the law killing your spirit right now. It's exactly what Jesus is coming against is the letter of the law that kills. The Spirit gives life. The, the, the law's purpose was to reveal sin. That's what the law's purpose was. The law was to reveal sin. The Spirit is what heals sin. You better post that before I steal it. The letter, or the, the letter, excuse me, of the law reveals the sin. That was the whole purpose of it. The Spirit revives it. It heals it. It transforms you. And so what are we going to do when we pursue these three things? In fact, Jesus is the one who set this up. So he gives us these six examples. And in every example, he says, you have heard that it was said. This is what the rabbis taught. This is the letter of the law that you have heard. But I say to you, it's a contradiction. Every time you have heard that it was said, 
But I say to you, you have been taught this, but let me challenge it and give you the spirit of it. You have heard that it was said is the letter of the law. It's the rabbi's teaching of the day. But I tell you is Jesus' fulfillment. It's the spirit of the law that brings life. Okay? We have, to, we have to do such an intentional job to not walk through these things looking for laws, looking for rules. It's our first tendency and the more spiritual you get, the more you're looking for laws, and the more you're looking for rules, and the more you're trying to hold people accountable to rules. You know what the Bible calls that? A Pharisee. Someone who is just religiously rigid and always looking to point the finger at somebody. And yet, what does Jesus ask us to embrace? The faith of a child. The innocence of a child that is willing to receive the simple, sweet, life-changing grace of our Lord Jesus Christ that can transform and give life. Okay? You ready to jump in? We're moving from, he's, he's taking them from external obedience to internal transformation. In other words, he's saying, you have heard, that's external obedience, but I tell you, this is what changes your heart. Let me, let me illustrate that principle for you. <laughs> we have come to a place in my home where I've had to ban potty words. They're, they're banned. You cannot say anything when it has to do with a bodily function in my, in my home. Because my five-year-old son thinks the funniest thing in the world is a potty word. He just, I mean, it, parents, am I lying? Parents of toddlers, are we here? Are we here? Are you here? You're probably still on vacation. Good for you. God bless you. You deserve that. You should be. You should be on vacation. It is like, I don't know what it is, but everything. He started adding the words, excuse my French, fart, poop, and, pot, and pee to everything. Everything. It is so ridiculously obnoxious. Daddy, you want to hear a joke? Yeah, tell me a joke. Knock, knock. Who's there? Daddy. Daddy who? Daddy fart. <laughs> no, no, it's not funny. You're, you're as bad as a five-year-old in here chuckling at that stuff. He just, he does, and it drives me crazy. So we've banned all potty words, right? Well, the other day, I'm holding my eight-month-old son. And this guy, absolutely, this is another one, parents of newborns. What is it that allows these babies to explode with such velocity? Like, it is... It's the most ridiculous thing. He is, my son, it's like he's hooked up to an air compressor. Like, the amount of PSI that he generates is unbelievable. Out both sides, up his back, and it is like one hard, and then it's just everywhere, and he's this big. I'm like, what? What is happening in his body? How does that work? And so he does. He explodes out both sides. It's on my shirt. It's on my arm. It's up his back, and it's on my shoulder up here. And I said, Canaan, go get your mom. Zadok just pooped all over me. And he said, Daddy, we don't say potty words. <laughs> and I said, no, no, no. listen, Daddy can say potty words, so you go and tell Mom I need her right now. And he said, well, why can Daddy say potty words, but I can't say potty words? And I said, listen, because I'm the adult, you're the kid, go right now, you're not saying potty words, go tell your mother, Zadok pooped all over me and I need her help now. And he said, well, I can't tell mommy because I can't say potty words. <laughs> Letter of the law, right? I mean, 
I'm sitting here explaining to him. I have poop all over me. An eight-month-old crying. I'm trying, I think I was like trying to work in my office. It was just an absolute disaster. And I'm like, listen, bud, the reason you can't say potty words is because you don't use them properly, right? They're not part of knock-knock jokes. They're, they're actually, if you have to, you tell us and we will help you get to the proper facility and everything else. But I found myself exactly where Jesus was trying to explain the difference between the letter of the law and the spirit of the law. The letter of the law is you will never utter another word like that again. The spirit of the law is there are words to be used in context. Don't use them out of context. It's awkward and it's uncomfortable for adults. I know you don't get that at five, but please don't do it in public, right? I mean, it's like there is a difference in spirit and letter, and it's where Jesus goes every single time. We have to to embrace. I have been personally challenged. We have to embrace the spirit of the law that gives life and not the letter of the law that kills. You're going to see this. Okay, number one, adultery. Matthew 5, 27 through 30. It says, you have heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. That's Exodus 20, verse 14. But I tell you, that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Verse 29, if your right eye causes you to stumble, gouge it out and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. Verse 30, and if your right hand causes you to stumble, cut it off and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than your body, your entire body, whole body, to go into hell. Listen, we're talking about the spirit of the law here, okay? We start making rules about this, and there was actually a group of people in a, in a foreign country, I can't remember where it was, but I read a news story, who were cutting their arms off and popping their eyes out. Because they read this, and they were taking this letter of the law. And they were just hacking themselves up. It's like, I don't know if you've seen Saul. I've, I've seen the first one. I couldn't stomach the last two. If you know, you know, I guess. I mean, it's like, I'm not, I'm not taking a hacksaw and cutting my leg off, right? But you have to catch the illustration of what Jesus is giving here. He is saying, and he's saying it with intensity. He's saying, listen, it is not just... Look, but don't touch. It is, if, if this is entering into your heart, it's entering into your eyes, it's entering into your thoughts, it should be such an intense rebuke inside of you that you should be saying, I want to pop my eyes out before I look at that again. I want to cut my arm off before I touch that. I don't want to go there. But they were interpreting letter of the law, and it was causing all of these challenges with purity. I will never forget. I remember I was a 13-year-old boy, and one of, my, one of my friends, me and his dad, were at a, a body of water. And I remember there was, a, there was a woman who was walking by there, and she was, she was in a bikini that was, she wanted people to look at her. Let me give you, let me give, I'll give you a little, this is for our college students aren't all back yet, but hey, if, if you... <laughs> If you have a fire, you go looking for a fireman, someone dressed like a fireman. If you have an emergency, you go looking for someone dressed like a paramedic. If you have a health problem, you go looking for someone dressed like a doctor. And if you're looking for a prostitute, you go looking for someone dressed like it. How you dress matters. How you present yourself 
matters. And it not only matters to you, but it matters to everyone else because they're looking at you and they're perceiving what you're desiring to be looked at. Okay, that was the dad lesson for the day, right? Man, I'm becoming a dad, am I not? Yes, I feel the spirit of a dad on me right now. Spirit of a dad with a daughter. You can, you can bet yourself I'll be preaching that to my daughter all the day. Okay, so anyway, we're there and I remember this woman walked by, and my friend and I, we were, we were just looking at her, and his dad swam up behind me. I'll never forget this. I remember the exact moment. And he said, boys, when you're married, you can look, but you can't touch. And I, I just remember, he- I remember hearing that, and I remember, th- I was like, dang, bro, that's your dad that just said that. But I remember sitting there thinking to myself, that's wrong. Like, I don't, I couldn't even, I wasn't spiritually mature enough to even know that Jesus was talking about it. But in my spirit, I thought, something is wrong here. That's the problem with the letter of the law. When we start saying, oh man, you shall not commit adultery. So you had people walking around saying, hey, I ain't done nothing wrong. I'm looking at it, but I ain't touching it. It's not my problem. And Jesus says, so what's the spirit of the law? The spirit of the law is purity begins in your heart. Purity begins in your heart. Purity begins by controlling your eyes. Purity begins when you begin to live as a sacrifice. It's not whether or not you're looking. It's whether or not you're longing to look. It's whether or not you catch that in your spirit. And that conviction enters into you. And you start saying to yourself, instead of saying to yourself, if I look but don't touch, it's okay. You say to yourself, I'd rather pop my eye out or cut my arm off than pursue that. That's the that's the depth of where the Spirit takes us. The Spirit begins to purify. It transforms us on the inside. That's what Jesus is saying. He's saying it begins in the heart. So I I pray the same prayer every morning when I wake up. I say, Lord, let my eyes only look at things that honor you. Let my ears only listen to things that honor you. Let my mouth only speak things that honor you. Let my heart only long for things that honor you. Let my hands only touch things that honor you. Let my feet only go to places that honor you. And let my body be a living sacrifice for you today. Every day, I have to do that. Why? Because the world is throwing so much garbage at us that I can't can't walk around letter of the law and be like, I'll look but not touch. I have to go into this place ready with my heart prepared, my eyes prepared, my mind prepared to say, I will live pure right here and then I can fight what's out here. I'll live pure right in this, the heart of my spirit. So that's the first one. All right, let's get to the one y'all are waiting for. Divorce. If statistics are true, 50% of you just peaked up a little bit. Um, and if they're true, and, and like us and everybody else, everybody in some way, shape, or form has been impacted by divorce. Let me read you what Jesus says. Matthew 5, 31 through 32. It says, It has been said, anyone who divorces his wife must give her a certificate of divorce. But I tell you that anyone who divorces his wife, except for sexual immorality, makes her the victim of adultery, and anyone who marries a divorced woman commits adultery. One of the most dangerous things we can do theologically is take that and turn it into a rule. Turn it into a law. Turn it into a, I will evaluate whether or not you qualify based on this. It's completely ripped out of context. Let me take you to Deuteronomy 24, 1 through 4. 
This is what Jesus is referencing here, okay? Make no mistake, he nearly quotes all of it. He does quote the first part of it. He says, if a man marries a woman who becomes displeasing to him because he finds something indecent about her and he writes her a certificate of divorce, gives it to her, and sends her from his house. Did you catch all that? Man's married to a woman, finds something indecent, writes her a certificate, go on your way, baby. Nice. Nice having you around. I'll find a new one. Verse 2. And if, and if after she leaves his house, she becomes the wife of another man, and her second husband dislikes her and writes her a certificate of divorce, gives it to her, and sends her from his house, or if he dies, verse 4, then her first husband who divorced her is not allowed to marry her again because she has been defiled. That would be detestable in the eyes of the Lord. Do not bring sin upon the land the Lord your God is giving you as an inheritance. Rabbi Hillel, who was the rabbi who was teaching during Jesus' days, the grandfather of Gamaliel, who Paul references in Acts chapter 5, he wrote multiple times that the word indecency that we read at the very beginning of Deuteronomy 24, he said it could be anything, he, quote, Indecency included anything that displeased a husband, including burning dinner. Here is what was happening in Jewish culture. Let me give you context. These men were marrying women, and then they were taking Deuteronomy chapter 24, and they were manipulating it into a way where if she displeased him or did something indecent at all, oh, you burned dinner? Okay, nice knowing you. Here's your certificate. Send her on. And then he'd take another wife, and he'd have sex with her. And then she would not know how to fold a t-shirt. So then all of a sudden, he'd write her a certificate, and he'd hand it to her, and he'd send her out. And then the problem was, she would have to find another man because women had no opportunity at that time, and the man was the only provider with the rights to the home. So then she would marry another man, and when she married him, he would take her, he would have sex with her, and then all of a sudden, she didn't do the dishes right. She knew how to load the dishwasher, put the toilet paper so it rolled the wrong way. And so he would write her a certificate of divorce, and he'd hand it to her, and he'd send her on her way, and they were literally trading wives like Pokemon cards. They were just like, hey, I, you made me mad, you're out. Okay, next one in. You made me mad. You're out. And over and over and over. And Jesus is coming. And what he's saying is, you have heard that it was said, anyone who gives a woman a certificate, you're divorced, move on. He said, no, I'm not telling you that. I'm saying unless she's been sexually immoral or you've been sexually immoral, there is no reason for you to do that. And the problem is, you're making her an adulteress now because you're pushing her out and making her go find another man when she should be with you and you're taking up this guy's woman that didn't know how to cook dinner right and you're sleeping with her and you're making a mess of it. That's what he's saying. That's what he's communicating. He is combating this Jewish culture, the spirit of the law. The spirit that he is communicating is that marriage is a sacred, valuable, worthy, high-value commitment between God and and two people. It is a commitment of oneness that represents the relationship that we have with the Father. Divorce should not be a dig that you shoot at your spouse every time you guys get in an argument and you get frustrated. Maybe we should just get a divorce. Maybe we should, no, yeah, we'll just get a divorce. In Jewish culture, they just did. They're like, okay, you're done. Gone. See you later. 
take care. He's saying this, it should be a high-value covenant. It should be one that we long to protect, we long to honor, we realize is a representation of the oneness that we have with the Father. That's what marriage is. It should be more valuable to you is what he is saying. That's why we have marriage mentorship. That's why when, when your marriage is strong, we will pay for your marriage counseling. Do you hear me? We will not only pay, but we will send you to where is she? Maggie, are you here today? Maggie Russell is one of the greatest marriage counselors in all of the land. And I'm telling you, we will pay for up to three sessions for you to go to Maggie to pursue the reconciliation of your oneness. We have marriage mentorship and mentor couples that will mentor you throughout marriage. We do premarital mentorship and everything in between because we want to communicate the high-level, high-value, sacred covenant and union that God has given us. Okay, So now, here is the question. And I'm going to use it as an example because I, I don't think there's a better one. Well, then what are the rules? What are the rules for divorce? So what, what, does, that, what, what does it mean now that, that I'm divorced? And I, and I hear all this, so let me, let me give it to you. Okay? I'm, going to, I'm going to really challenge your theology right here. Okay? So follow me. Please follow me. If we take the entire Bible, Genesis through Revelation, and said, what are the causes for divorce? What, what, what should somebody say, I am justified in getting a divorce? Genesis to Revelation. You go Exodus 21, Matthew 5, Matthew 19, 1 Corinthians 7. You see physical or mental abuse. You see sexual immorality, and you see abandonment. You see four. Okay? Now, Let's say all of a sudden you're like, well, I'm, I'm a New Testament Christian and I don't know about all that law stuff, so I'm just going to hold on to what the New Testament says when it, when it revolves around divorce. Okay, great. Then we have Matthew 5, Matthew 19, 1 Corinthians 7. We've got two reasons for divorce, sexual immorality or abandonment. Maybe you're someone who says, well, I just go by Matthew 5 and Matthew 19, what Jesus says, that it's sexual immorality, except sexual immorality. Okay, great. So now we've narrowed it down to one rule. Here's the only challenge with that rule. If you take this word for sexual immorality and you read it in the Greek, you understand something. It's not the same word that's used for adultery in the prior section. We just talked about adultery. It's not the same word. The word used here for sexual immorality is saying the grievous and most grotesque of sins. It is most often translated as incest in the Bible. You could make the debate, and I, I have read scholars that are significantly smarter than I am, fluent in Hebrew and Greek, that do make this debate. That say the word that Jesus is using here, here's how you would translate it, is Jesus is saying, unless you get married to someone and you find out you're related to them, that's the only way you can get a divorce. If you, if you, just, if you just get married and all of a sudden it's like, ooh, darn it, they're my cousin, you know. That's the only way. So now, now let me ask you this question. What have we done? We've gone from four rules to no rules. And what happens when we pursue the letter of the law? It kills, right? It kills. So now we're sitting here saying, well, now, now what do I do? Now I've gone from four reasons to no reasons, and I've got this in my past. Now what do I pursue? What is the Spirit? What is the Spirit that gives life to this situation? Because if you go searching for a rule 
You're going to wind up with a bunch of them, and it's going to be tough to justify them. You're going to wind up with none of them and not know where to go. So what does the Spirit say about this? Let's just go directly to Jesus. What was Jesus' mission when he came to earth? Reconciliation. It was reconciliation. What did Jesus come to do? To reconcile all mankind to God through death, burial, and resurrection. Jesus is our Savior and salvation is reconciliation. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Jesus came for reconciliation. So when we go to Jesus and we say, okay, how should we handle divorce? The first thing that I'm going to say, if you come to me and say, hey, I'm ready to get a divorce, I'm going to say, have you pursued reconciliation? Have you pursued reconciliation? Have you done everything you can to reconcile? Can we pay for your counseling? Can we get you set up with marriage mentorship? I'm going to pray over you. I'll meet with you if you want to meet with me, but Maggie's a better counselor than I am. But whatever we can do, can we, can we help you with reconciliation? It's the first thing we pursue. Now, what do we see from Jesus after the desire for reconciliation? What do Calvin and Luther say? They say it is irresistible grace. Irresistible grace. So we, we, we desperately pursue reconciliation. And when reconciliation doesn't happen and divorce happens, how do we respond with grace? The same grace that Jesus Christ has for us. We love with radical grace. We surround with radical grace. We pray with radical grace. Let me give you two examples from scripture. John chapter 4, woman at the well. She comes to Jesus Jesus says, woman, get me a drink. She said, get yourself a drink. And he said, if you knew who asked you for a drink, you would ask me for living water, and I would give you living water. And she said, okay, I'm in. Give me a drink. And he said, okay, go call your husband and come back to me. And she says to him, I don't have a husband. And you know what Jesus says? Jesus says, you're right in saying you don't have a husband. You've had five, and the man you're with now isn't even your husband. And she said, Lord, my God. It's the Messiah. It's the man who told me everything I ever needed to know. And she said, go and tell. He said, he said, go and tell. And she went and she told, and the disciples said, what on earth were you doing talking to that woman? You know, that woman, oh man, she said five marriages. What on earth are you doing talking to her? Like, oh, she's, she's a mess. And Jesus said, look at her. The fields are ripe for harvest, but you're not ready. But she was. But he commissioned her, and he used her as an example. I talk with divorced people all the time that think for some reason, because they've been divorced, they have no future. They have no hope that there's no opportunity for them again. There's no life for them again. What does Jesus do in John chapter 8? John chapter 8, woman caught in adultery. That's awkward. We're talking caught in the act of adultery. This is the best example for you. What are we talking about? Letter of the law versus spirit of the law. And they drag this woman out. Now listen, we can read that and just think, oh man, they walked her arm in arm to Jesus. No, they drug her by her hair, probably very, barely clothed, out into the middle of the street, threw her to Jesus' feet. They had stones in their hands because what does the law say that you do to a woman caught in adultery? You stone her to death. They're ready to bludgeon her and kill her on the spot. And they said, Jesus, we caught this woman in the act of adultery. What do you say that we do? What's the letter of the law? They're baiting him. Say, come on, give us the letter of the law. Tell us to throw him. Tell us to stone her. Tell us to do it. And what does Jesus say? You who is guilty cast the first stone. 
You who, are, you who have no sin, cast the first stone. Go ahead. Throw your stone. These are the people that are walking around saying, oh, man, you know that girl? Oh, yeah, she just, <laughs> she just got married for the third time. Oh, man, you know him? He's on his second marriage. What's Jesus say? Go ahead. If you're not guilty, throw the first stone. And what happened? One by one, stones dropped, and they walked away, and Jesus looked at the woman, and what did he say? Where are your accusers? Where are they at? Can you imagine sitting in a pile of shame, barely clothed, caught in the act of adultery, wrecking your marriage, drug out in the middle of the street, knowing there's a group of men that just want to smash your head in with a bunch of stones. And she's sitting there before him. I said, you who's guilty? Come on. And they disappear. And she looked at him and she said, I don't see them. And Jesus said, nor do I. Go and sin no more. Nor do I. Go and sin no more. You come to me and say, what, what, how do we approach divorce theologically? Well, I can give you all the rules. Or I can tell you what Jesus did. Go and sin no more. Go and sin no more. Pursue reconciliation. Live in radical, radical grace. And go and sin no more. That's the answer that Jesus gives us. And, and let me just tell you this, by the way. And I am, as you can tell, I'm passionate. I've eaten up all my time speaking about it. Um, if you are in here and you're married a second time, or let, let's just say you're in here and you're married and the marriage that you're in now is not your first marriage, quit calling it your second marriage. Quit calling it your third marriage. Quit calling it your fourth marriage. Listen, if God's grace is on you, and you sinned and made a mistake, does that mean you're a second Christian? Does that mean you're a third Christian? Does that mean you're a fourth Christian? Does that mean you're a fifth? No, you're a Christian bought by the blood of God, cleansed by the grace of our Savior, Jesus Christ. You are married and you are married. God can bless a second marriage. God can bless a third marriage. God can bless a fourth marriage. God can bless a fifth marriage. Yes, we long for reconciliation. Yes, we hold marriage at high value. And yes, we do everything we can to pursue reconciliation. And when divorce happens, we meet it with irresistible grace. And we say, go and sin no more. Repent, realize what happened, and move forward and live in the grace of Jesus. All right, let's go. Number three, oaths. All right, I'm sorry. You knew I was coming off of a bye week. You knew I was going to be long today, right? Five minutes. Here we go. Matthew 5, 33 through 37. He says, again, you have heard that it was said to the people long ago, do not break your oath, but fulfill the Lord, but fulfill to the Lord the vows you have made. They're quoting, guys, run to Leviticus 19.12 real quick. They're quoting Leviticus 19.12. And what they're saying is they, they took this verse and they misinterpreted it to mean, it says, let me read it to you, do not swear falsely by my name and so profane the name of your Lord, of your God. I am the Lord. They took that to mean that you had to always swear by the name of God. And if you broke it, you were walking falsely. But if you didn't, you held on to it. And what he is saying is, verse 34, go back, guys. Sorry, I'm running you all over the place. But I tell you, do not swear an oath at all, either by heaven, for it is God's throne, or by the earth, for it is his footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. Verse 36, and do not swear by your head, for you cannot even make one hair white or black. Verse 37, 
All you need to say is simply yes or no. Anything beyond this comes from the evil one. So again, in Jewish culture, what you had happening was they took Leviticus 19.12 and they said, man, we're going to swear. We've got to swear by God. So you'd say, I swear to God. And they would say, well, I swear to God and to heaven's throne. Well, I swear to God and I swear to heaven's throne and I swear by the land of Jerusalem. Well, I swear to God and I swear by heaven's throne and I swear to the land of Jerusalem and I swear by the Ark of the Covenant and the land of Jerusalem. Like, and they just kept building these up. And here, Jesus is simply saying, if you're you're me, and you're meek, and you're merciful, and you're poor in spirit, and you're living how I've called you to live. Just let your yes be yes and your no be no. Just have integrity with what you say. Just mean what you say and do what you say. Just let yes be yes and no be no and leave it at that. My son, we were, um, man, I've, I've referenced him, I think, twice today. That's two ice creams. Every time I talk about a child in a sermon, they get some sort of dessert. And, man, I love my kids. I have such wonderful kids. I had such a great week with them. And my son and I, we, uh, we had to run to Home Depot to pick something up. And we did, and we walked out. And as we were walking out, I looked down at him, and this little booger had chocolate, like, literally all over his face. And I said, what on earth are you eating? And he smiled real big, and he showed me this king-size strip of Reese's. And I was like, come on. And he said, what, 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 like, what, Daddy? I said, you stole that. We're going to go take it. And he was like, no, I didn't. I didn't mean to. I said, no, you did. You may not know what you did, but you, I mean, I'm scarred from this moment. Anyone had this moment in their childhood? I remember Casey's General Store stealing a bag of Big League Chew, and my mom drugged me back in there and made me set it on the counter and made me pay for it. So I walk him back in. I'm like, it'll be a good lesson. And right when we get in there, wouldn't you know it, I walk up to the lady, and I said, ma'am, I said, he didn't mean to, but he took these Reese's. We need to pay for these Reese's. And some knucklehead says, man, lumber's so expensive, the boy ought to get the Reese's for free. Canaan looks at me and he says, Daddy, he says we can have them. I'm like, thanks, thief. You know, like, wow, appreciate that. Trying to have a moment here. So now I walk Canaan over to the register and I kneeled down at his level and we scanned it. And I said, listen, son, even if we think we deserve it, even if we think it should be, even if we can justify it, we don't take stuff. We do what we say. We honor what's there. Cunninghams don't steal. Cunninghams don't walk away. Cunninghams don't justify their own stuff. Cunninghams are men of their word. That's what Jesus is saying here. He's saying, look, you don't have to swear. You don't have to put your hand on the Bible. You don't have to be roped into some oath that involves the kingdom and the heaven and this and that. Just, just have integrity with your words. Mean what you say and do what you say you're going to do. Let your yes be yes and your no be no. This is the spirit of of the law. Remember this. The letter of the law. If you're in here looking for rules, you're going to wind up with death. If you're in here looking for life, you only find it by the Spirit. 